Listen now for the word of God as is heard in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Hebrew called Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, the paralyzed, the lame. And there was one man who was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said, rise up, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his pallet and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, God, our rock and redeemer. So in last year's uh, Disney blockbuster, Encanto, there's a particular song by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which has taken the, uh, the world by storm. It's an earworm that once you've heard it, you cannot get it out of your head. And I know all the parents in the room know this song. It's We Don't Talk About Freedom. Right. Its Colombian beat is super catchy, but it's not just the beat that makes the song so universal. We can all identify with the magical family because everybody has those things in their family that they just don't talk about. No, no, no. In my family, for example, we all knew that in front of Pop Pop, we don't talk about war. No, no, no. And one of my friend's families, she knew that we don't talk about dad. No, no, no. He was in prison at the time. And the church, we are also a family. For better or for worse, we function much like a family. We have our own values, holidays, and traditions and our own Brunos, those things that we don't talk about in church. Can anyone think of a church Bruno? Oh, yes. <laughs> Guns, okay, yeah. What else? Yeah. Cheers and pews. Oh, cheers and pews. <laughs> Thank you, Daryl. <laughs> Um, I'll throw one out. Um, we had someone bravely talk last uh, a couple weeks ago about mental illness. Uh, that's something that traditionally we don't talk about in church. Is there anything else you can think of? Mark, I bet you can think of this one. Money. Yeah, we don't talk about money. We don't talk about money, mental illness, addiction. We don't talk about our doubts or loneliness, and most of all, we do not talk about bodies, about sex, or sexuality in the church. And you might wonder, what is it about these things that make them Brunos, off-limit for discussion? 
Well, I was thinking about it and I realized there's one thing that all of them have in common. They all have vulnerability in common. Talking about mental illness, addictions, our sexuality, our finances, our doubts, our loneliness, all of these things have the potential to expose something about us that we fear we might be shamed for. Those with mental illness fear they'll be judged for needing the help of medication or therapy. Alcoholics fear their disease will be seen as a moral failure. Those struggling under the weight of debt worry they will be pitied. LGBTQ people are understandably scared that they'll be rejected because of who they are. Our greatest human desire is to be both known and loved. So it isn't hard to understand why these topics are scary. They make us known in a way that could put our love and our belonging on the line. Because when we reveal our brokenness, our doubts, our desires, and our weaknesses, we know that we will be met with either one of two stances. We will be met with love or with fear, respect or judgment, acceptance or rejection. Now, I don't like to be a dualistic black and white thinker, but I really think that there are only two possible responses to these stances. One is one that leads to healing, and the other one leads to wounding. All too often, the church has been a place of wounding rather than a place of healing, a place where our common brokenness is met with judgment and fear and shaming, the church is famous for feeding on shame and judgment, just like a car that runs on gasoline. <clears throat> and I know many of you here today have been wounded by church. And as the saying goes, there ain't no hurt like church hurt. Those who have experienced church hurt sometimes find healing in congregations like this one. But most of them leave church altogether. When I think about how church can be a place of wounding, I always think of Martine. <clears throat> I lived with Martine when I was studying abroad in Paris during college. She was my host mother and a very devout Catholic. Almost every morning, her husband would get up early so that he could go to mass before work. Throughout the house, she displayed little objects of devotion and quotes. And every Sunday, the family would put on their best clothes and hats and walk down to the neighborhood parish together. So one Sunday, I decided that I would join them, but I noticed something odd. When it was time to come forward for communion, Martine shifted her knees to one side so that others could pass her by, and she remained there in the pews. I joined them again the next week, and I noticed the same thing. So finally, one morning at breakfast, when it was just the two of us, I asked her, why don't you take communion? And Martine paused for a moment and put down her tea. I could tell she was about to tell a story. And she told me, by the time she was 30 years old, she was already the mother of four little girls, one right after the other. Now, if caring for four little girls doesn't sound like a lot already, combine that with the fact that her middle two girls were special needs children. 
And if that still doesn't sound like a lot to you, pile on top that her husband became an abusive alcoholic. So Martine had found herself in an impossible situation. She couldn't financially support herself and her four little girls on her own. Yet at the same time, she couldn't stay and have her girls witness the abuse. She tried everything to get him sober. She tried begging. She tried pouring out all his alcohol. She tried dragging him to the parish priest, who spoke only of forgiveness. Nothing worked. Finally, on one particularly bad night, after he had passed out upstairs, Martine packed a bag. And then she woke up seven-year-old Felicite, followed by five-year-old Anne sleeping nearby. And then she pulled two-year-old Florence from her crib and put her in the stroller. And finally, she slid her newborn Dauphine into a carrier. And the five little women disappeared in the night. Martine knew from the beginning that the only way that she would survive would be on assistance from the French government. She had no college degree. But in order to get that assistance, she would have to show that she was a single mother. She would have to get legally divorced. Now, as a devout Catholic, Martine knew that divorce was forbidden in the Catholic Church. Still, she had to provide for her girls. And so she did what she had to do for them. And the price she paid for it was steep, but she says it was worth it. And she never took communion again. Now don't worry, Martine's story does have a happy ending. At her next parish, she met a single farmer who took her four daughters under his wing as if they were his own. And later he told me that their young progressive priest had pulled her aside one Sunday and urged her to return to the table. Surely she had done her penance by now, but she never did. The shame was too great, and she accepted church law that said divorced women are not worthy to come to the table. The irony of it all is that Jesus, if Jesus were to invite anyone to dine, it would be a brave mother of four who gave up everything for the sake of her girls, who worked full time while going to school at night, who patiently cared for her special needs children. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is a place where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So surely Martine should be the first in line at the table. We in the church, we are called to be a place of healing and we take our cue from Jesus Christ who was the healer and called the great physician. In our lectionary story this morning, we hear one of many stories about healing in which Jesus and his disciples miraculously heal others. But what's so remarkable about these stories is not that Jesus miraculously healed people. There were many traveling people at that time that claimed to have healing powers. What was remarkable was not that Jesus healed. It was who he chose to heal. He touched bodies riddled with leprosy. He touched bodies of menstruating women. He touched bodies that had been paralyzed for 38 years. And not only did he touch these bodies that had been deemed unclean and profane, as we hear in our story this morning, he healed them on the Sabbath, the holiest day of the week. That was his ministry. 
And in so doing, Jesus revealed two things, I think, about the kingdom of God. First of all, all bodies, no matter how broken or sick, no matter their age or their ability or their gender, all bodies are sacred. They're so sacred that God incarnate touches them and heals them as a devotion on the holiest day of the week. We worship a God who took human body on himself in Jesus, and we are even promised bodily resurrection. So all bodies, from head to toe, yes, from sex organs to internal organs, all bodies are holy and blessed. And second, by healing this man on the Sabbath, Jesus reveals the nature of his ministry, and so ours too. We in the church are called to be a healing place, a place where those who have been hurt or cast aside can find love and belonging. So how do we at United Christian Church of Austin be that healing pool? Well, it all comes back to Bruno. We have to talk about Bruno. Yes, yes, yes. We have to be brave and have hard conversations like the one we had a couple weeks ago on mental health, conversations that have the potential to expose our brokenness and our wounds, our wounds around sexuality and blessed bodies, about mental health and loneliness, alcoholism and addiction, disability, doubts, race, and white privilege. We have to start the conversation about Bruno and yet still listen deeply to another's truth and meet them with acceptance over judgment, love over fear, and respect over shame. Because to heal first, we must be heard. So let us, United Christian Church of Austin, lean into our call to be a place for healing rather than a place of wounding. Because just as the body and bread are both broken and blessed, so are we. And the broken places are where the light of God shines through. Amen.